this moment. You've spoken. You haven't stuttered. You haven't hesitated. You're clear. Your word is clear in its most basic message. There are parts of your Bible that are hard to understand. We should acknowledge that. But in these moments, I thank you for my dear friends who are with me. Um, Help us to hear you. Help us to love you. Um, Help us to be okay with crying out deep honesty. Um, The subject today is very important. I pray that um, I will not have to think that I have to cover every aspect of it. But those things that are important for right now, this moment, January 10, 2016, right here, right now, hearts before you. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, the passage. Uh, Elliot, thank you for reading that. Uh, The passage is before us. Uh, Verse 16, Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why would you ever tell Christians that? No, don't they know? Don't they have enough information? Haven't they been trained in, in the gospel? It's interesting, isn't it? It's a question to ask when you're reading your Bible. Why would you tell Christians that? <clears throat> Well, they don't get it. And what's going on here is Paul has experienced their flesh. And it hasn't been very fun. The Galatians, catching up, a little review. The Galatians were really impressed with some people that have been nicknamed Judaizers. These were people who traveled around and really bothered Paul. They followed him, created situations of persecution for him and they slandered him they convinced the Galatians that Paul had preached a false gospel how about that got some chutzpah and the Galatians bought into it they insidiously said well you know it's really tough to tell Gentiles to follow the law Gentiles don't understand that don't like it Uh, Who's going to want to preach Jesus and circumcision and Jesus plus all all the laws of Judaism? Who wants to preach that? Paul doesn't want to do it. He's afraid of people. So you should listen to us if you want the true gospel. It's pretty pretty insidious, pretty wicked. So Galatians is an answer, a theological, um, a personal, inspired by God's Spirit response to those accusations. And now he, uh, he references, by the way, in verse 15, he talks about the flesh. He says, the flesh, be careful. Be careful. The, the flesh can look like this. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You see, what happen in, happens in legalistic churches, Jesus plus this makes you okay. Jesus plus this makes you okay. In legalistic churches, everyone's like watching out for each other. Everyone's inspecting each other. Everyone's on guard. There's evil somewhere in the pew behind me. Something's going on. 
watch them. And people are quite prideful about their religious achievements, their adherence to this or that tradition or law, man-made law, or perhaps God's law. They think they're keeping it. And so um, they're wary. And what happens is that the church has become very divisive, very divisive. You've been part of a legalistic church, legalistic church. You're never really quite sure you're accepted in Jesus. Never quite sure. It's not a fun experience. And it leads to biting and devouring. So Paul then commends to them, as is usual for all, for epistles, there's the application chapters. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, application chapters. Ephesians 5 and 6, excuse me, Galatians 5 and 6, application. Here it is. This is application. This is good news, good news from the apostle. Um, it even comes with a, a severe warning, but there's good news here in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Message, you have been gratifying the desires of the flesh. That's the message. That's why I've had to deal with you. We wouldn't be here if you had a really high regard for the flesh. So what does it look like to care about the flesh? And how does this work with the title of the sermon, Life in the Spirit? Well, life in the Spirit includes a very high regard and appreciation and awareness of the flesh. Life in the Spirit includes that. In most churches, the subject of the flesh is not touched on very much at all. I, that's quite a statement. It's, I've never heard a lot of teaching about it. Um, it's not very popular, first of all, to tell Christians this is the battle. It's very popular to blame Satan. I don't know if you noticed that. I've had conversations with people. and Satan is just doing everything. He's, he's making bad coffee. I mean, he's just everything. He's involved in every aspect of a person's life, and I just keep thinking, man, you must be a spiritual dynamo, a danger to Satan's kingdom. I mean, he is just so active in your life. Um, and in our church, we are a Presbyterian church, in a particular tradition of the Protestant church. We probably make a mistake of underestimating Satan. We probably do that. And then other churches really talk about the other um, member of the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's from 1 John. Other churches talk about the world and how evil the world is. And the world certainly has influence on us. But it's interesting that the world and the flesh, excuse me, the world and the devil, the world and the devil, cannot really be our excuse. Sorry. Sorry. The flesh, the flesh is something we, we own. And uh, so Paul tells them about the flesh. <clears throat> and he describes it here. He says that the flesh is first and foremost a desire. It is desires. End of verse 16 and verse 17. For the desires of the flesh, so it's desires, are against the spirit. Look at verse 17. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And look who's in the middle of all this. 
These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You are in the middle of these two entities. One is the personal God who is in you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person active with desires of good for you, pursuing holiness in you. And that, that spirit is in you, and there is a war going on, of a war of desires, in you, the Christian. And you, if you've ever heard here, Pastor Nathaniel or Brandon preaching, we use the word struggle, right? We use the word struggle. Why do we use the word struggle? Why aren't we talking more about the victorious Christian life, right? Well, <clears throat> Our hymns, our songs are reflective of the real experience of the Christian. And the real experience is more warlike than victorious. Now, if you are experiencing the victorious Christian life, I don't mean to be facetious or make fun of that. I want to talk to you. I want to learn your secret. Because the more I make progress... In sanctification, the more I understand my need for Christ because I am learning, learning, learning about the sinner Jesus saved. And he's got some real issues. And it's an onion that will just not, we can't get down to the core of the onion. It keeps going. So we don't sing songs here that are glib about the Christian life. We don't. For instance, we're going to conclude the service with these lyrics. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a chain, old English fetter. People used to be fettered in stocks, right, out in the public square. To, to fetter someone was to shame them with chains, and they couldn't get out of there until they were... Released by the authorities. Let your goodness like a fetter. May your goodness be a chain to bind my wandering heart to thee. There is a real Christian with a real hymn. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Can you sing that in church? Can you be honest like that in church? Man, I feel it. Pastor, let me tell you a story of what I feel. Can we be honest like this and get rid of our pretense and our posing? It's okay. You've got a big Savior for a big sinner. perfectly okay you come up to me after church and say man I just I need prayer on the way to church my wife and I were we're fighting and all we did was put up a pretense in church we got we got some things to work out because the flesh is active in our marriage and the answer is of course you're a fallen sinner redeemed by grace and it is a struggle Prone to leave. Here's the zinger in the song, I think, in the hymn. <clears throat> Prone to leave the God I love. Well, there's a contradiction. 
Why would you leave someone you love? Here's my heart, Lord. Take it. Take it. And what is the, what's the request to do, do with it? You, you know the song. Take it and seal it. Make this no longer my experience. Seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Angels above. Unhindered worship. No sin. No flesh. Saints above. Unhindered worship. See? You're a teenager here, young adult here. You have a proclivity in the flesh. A proclivity. It might be different than mine or someone else's. It probably is. You have a certain tendency. You may, for instance, uh, you may turn inward on yourself and shame yourself. You may have negative thoughts toward yourself, even though you're a believer in Jesus. Your sin weighs heavy on you. Your inability, your lack of prayer, your lack of this, you feel like a bad Christian. Or maybe you, uh, you turn outward and you just accuse people. You're divisive. You, everyone else is the problem. Everyone else, it's outward. One time heard a story of a person in, jail, uh, in, in court, in court, and they openly accused their public defender. They accused the jury. They accused the judge. The flesh characterizes all unbelievers. This doesn't mean that they are utterly depraved. In fact, they can create beautiful works of architecture. They might have a fairly harmonious marriage. They produce, they are a, in many ways, a wonderful palace, the human body, like Versailles outside of Paris, these amazing opulent palaces you find in Europe and other places in the world. Your body is an extraordinary home for dignity and honor and beauty and but it's also a ornate palace that actually has deep issues in it deep problems deep structural flaws here's my heart lord take and seal it seal it for thy courts above so we are stuck in this difficult struggle verse 18 a new unusual verse can't say I have a full handle on it. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Strange. Seems that the law is provoking the flesh. The law provokes the flesh. And apart from the Spirit, you see that? Being led by the Spirit, we will be provoked to live fleshly. Now the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19. This is very, very important. There's 15 subjects listed here. This is not meant to be comprehensive. So if you look to the list and you go, <laughs> wow, great, I made it. Um, that's not the idea. The idea is it's a sample. And uh, 
You could do a, do a study in the New Testament of, of dozens and dozens of words that relate to the flesh. But here's a sample, and uh, let's see if you can pick out what might be the apostles' objective by listing these things out. Obviously, they have been recovering from paganism, and so these practices uh, would be typical of their day, even religious temples and these kind of things, very very perverse in their uh, sexual um, uh, practices. Um, but let's see if you can figure out what, what Paul might be including that relates directly to the Galatians. They're evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It seems all those seem to go together. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Enmity is bitterness in relationships. Enmity, strife. Again, another relational word. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. There's the, there's the, uh oh, there's other things, right? And uh, then here we have an apostolic warning. This is giving people boundaries that are very, very important. I warn you. I warn you as I warned you before. Interesting, what, is, what was Paul's pastoral practice? Repeatedly warning people that those who do such things, that this is the practice of such things, a lifestyle characterized by these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, I had a fresh reminder this week. I don't know how many of you read our email that went out from the church. How many, just real quick, how many read the email? Great, okay, good. I'm encouraged. If you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to read it. I met um, a couple of Buddhists on the way home out in front of Gate 63 in San Francisco, right near Pete's Coffee. And um, I didn't know they were Buddhists. I thought they might be reading the Bible, but they're reading a, a 13th century collection of writings from a Buddhist priest, and they were followers of his. Okay. And uh, they were very gentle, loving men. Um, and I was... Uh, my only comment, I have many thoughts on this interaction. Please read the email. Um, I was stunned by how clear the scriptures are with what are definitive, clear truths that the truth we're following the truth we're believing is differentiating falsehood to engage people who are not believers you will be if you do this as a practice encourage you to do this to just have conversations with people you'll be surprised 
how clear it is that you're coming from a place not of wishy-washy sort of, well, I'm not sure about this. Yes, there are mysteries in the world and there are mysteries in life. But to read this list, listen to it. Let it impact you. That the heart set on pursuing these disordered loves, the heart set in its rebellion against the moral order of the universe established by God, that has real consequences. There's real consequences. And I would encourage you in the next few months or this next year, try not not to belittle anyone, not to prove how smart you are or anything else, to interact with someone. Catch them reading some non-Christian philosophy. Catch them reading some some idea, even, even Oprah's magazine. Catch them. There's so many entry points So many entry points. You are one conversation away. Hey, this Pete's coffee's great, isn't it? Yeah. Well, let's talk about ultimate reality. (laughs) You are one or two steps away from interacting with people, and you will find, wow, this is a worldview that is, at least in my limited understanding, rapidly, and it has been for years, in decline around the world for sure in the United States and Europe. The idea that God has spoken and God is clear and man is morally accountable before a holy God. We had um, a granddaughter in our school years ago came home and told Grandma, since Grandma was a practicing Buddhist, I believe, the granddaughter came home from our Trinity Christian school and told Grandma she was, because she didn't believe in Jesus, going to go to hell. This makes for a little tension during snack time (laughs) with Grandma. And so that grandma wanted to know who's in charge of this whole thing. And she met with me. And and here's how I reasoned. And it went pretty well. I said, well, if there is a God, and I believe there is, the Bible tells me there is, and if there is a judgment day, God will judge perfectly. Absolute perfectly. There won't be any flaws in his argument. won't be any flaws in his case. It will be perfect justice. Perfect. How does that sit with you? She says, I can accept that. I said, yeah, that's what we teach here. That's what we teach here. That there is a perfect justice that will be distributed to sinners. But this isn't why 
the non-Christian is not really the target of this text, though this text could wake up a non-Christian. And if you're not here and not a believer, I want you to know there's the hope. God chases down people like you. I was 19 years old. I had no idea what it meant to believe in Jesus, and he had compassion on me. The one writing this epistle was a man filled with religious flesh, willing to kill for his religious flesh. Don't underestimate. Don't get caught up in this, uh, the, the admonitions about sexual immorality. Yes, you should listen to that. Of course you should listen to it. But listen carefully. If you are a religious person adhering to your moral code, the flesh is active in your life. So he writes to Galatian Christians, warning them of habits of the heart. And of course he is targeting strife, dissensions, divisions. See, that, that's, what he's, that's, what, that's what Paul intends for the Galatians to, to really take to heart. So just, just by way of some other thoughts on, on the flesh, and I believe this does relate to the subject of life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit includes, and let's just keep reading, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love. Did Paul experience love from the Galatians? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35, describes what sanctification is. If you are a believer in Jesus, this is for you. What is sanctification? It is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man. That's hope. We are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. Beautiful statement. And are enabled, listen, enabled more and more. Be be encouraged. To die unto sin and live unto righteousness in the language of Galatians that's called freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set you free, set you free from the gravitational pull of the flesh. Now, how do we enter into this? How do we experience this? How do we uh, move into this? Um, just a little technical note, a little, if you love, precision in theology. Uh, it is important, even the NIV and other translations use the word nature for the old nature. But here's, here's what's going on, is that we can only have one nature at a time. Make sense? So you don't, really, you don't really have two natures. You have one. If you're born again, you have a new nature. Does that make sense? So what are we talking about with the flesh? And the flesh, according to one of the preeminent theologians of our day, Sinclair Ferguson, actually asked, asked him this question this years ago. 
Uh, he said that the flesh is the residual effects of sin. You know how when you, when you unplug an, uh, an appliance, have you ever noticed that it takes just about a second for all the lights to turn off? On You unplug your microwave, right? And that electricity is still moving through the microwave. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Well, you have been, in a sense, unplugged from the realm of death and darkness and sin, in, in a sense. But, oh, is its power still moving through your system? See? The residual effects of sin. So what does it look like? What does it look like to walk with life in the Spirit? Well, it's, we're given a clue. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. One of the most brilliant individuals we've ever had given to the church, theologian John Owen, a Puritan out of England. And John Owen has written, uh, I cannot even imagine if he had access to, to I mean, these, he was a prolific writer, uh, wrote volumes and volumes and volumes. Uh, and everyone now is condensing his work because we realize that we can't spend 18 years reading his stuff. John Owen was excellent on the area of the flesh and its power. Um, and John Owen uses a, a helpful image for us Christians, and here it is. The flesh is a habitual way of thinking, believing, living. It's just a way that you, you conduct yourself apart from the grace of God. The flesh is rooted in our desires. And here's what the flesh does. The flesh can take something, obviously evil, and hide the evil of it. Because the desire is, man is manifesting itself and it's, it's sort of overwhelming you. Right? For instance, like the, the, the desire to be safe. Or to not be, or to not look stupid in front of someone, and so you, that desire to be safe causes you to lie, or to hedge the truth, so you don't look like a fool, right? So that desire overruled what you ought to do, right? It overruled, it overpowered you in a sense, and you cooperated with it. Does that make sense? Okay, so John Owen is the one who said, and even good things, right? Um, wanting your children to obey you. That's a good thing. Does anyone as a parent ever abuse that good motive? <laughs> Do you ever yell at your children? Do you ever get angry at your children? Do you ever have to apologize to your children for your behavior? I'm looking around. I'm seeing a lot of young parents who have no idea what we're talking about. I see older parents who are nodding and they're hurting their, their necks because they're nodding so strongly. So, okay, so here it is. A good thing... Obedient children, that's a good thing, right? A good thing becomes an ultimate thing, right? One time I had to apologize to our girls. It was on a Sunday morning. Daddy's anxious, got to preach, church stuff. I apologized to them. I said, girls, I've made my church an idol. I've made my performance on Sunday ultimate. I'm not believing in God. I am trusting in myself. I'm my own self-savior. 
and I, it looks like on Sunday morning, anger toward you. And I have been mistreating you. I've been putting pressure on you to just sit and be quiet and just look cute and make, and make me look good. And I had to apologize to them. Now, is it a good thing that a pastor's children sit in a behaved way in church? Yes, but it becomes an overruling desire. So here's the checklist. What is too important for you? It could be getting back at someone. could be proving you're right. It could be something that enhances how you look. Make you look good at the office. Make you look good in your marriage. And it becomes so important that you raise your voice. So important that you you become acting nasty. So what is the first step on fleshly awareness? It's becoming aware. Wait a minute. I'm after a good thing in a sense. But I've made it too important. It's an overruling desire. Colossians 3.5, the Greek prefix epi, the word is evil, thumai, epithumai. We are to put to death, Colossians 3.5, put to death, look at the language, listen to the language, put to death the epithumai, the evil desires, the overruling desires. You have an epidermis, It is over your body, right? It's over. An epithumai is an overruling desire. Does that make sense? Everyone's looking at me a little. little. So watch what is overruling you, and now how do you combat it? And then I'm done. Here we go. John Owen to the rescue. John Owen uses a graphic example of the flesh. And how to defeat it. Now this is not a simplistic cure. And each of us will apply it perhaps somewhat differently. But here is his advice. The flesh comes on, let's say the the desire for retribution to get back at someone. The flesh comes on with a real power. It, It is screaming out to you. And it's kind of using this language. Don't you dare abandon me. What are you talking about? I can guide you through this. I'll be there for you. Let this, let this desire for revenge, oh, we'll make it happen. Don't worry. And it is putting demands on you. When have I ever failed you? This will work out. You need to get back at them. You need to treat them ugly and nasty. Look what they did. What, are you going to put up with this? The flesh is, in a way, making its demands on you, and it's crying out to you that its power is available to you, and you must obey its power. John Owen said, and here's the graphic example, maybe difficult for us, some of us. 
The flesh is like a crucified man. When he first gets on the cross, he cries out with great power and strength. And he says that the flesh is crying out in the first wave of the cry. Get back at them. Get back at them. Don't, don't treat them kindly. The first wave of the flesh's desire, this is John Owen, is its strongest. Is its strongest. And he says, resist, trust God, review scripture, call upon the spirit, hold on, hold on, hold on. The flesh is not done. The flesh comes on and says, Oh, what's your issue? What's the problem? When have I ever failed you? Let's go. Let those nasty words out. It's all right. And the flesh comes back with, and then you resist in the power of the Spirit, rehearsing Scripture. You're walking in the Spirit, remembering the gospel, remembering how good God is, remembering how God has treated you, not nasty. He overlooked your sin and placed it upon Jesus. He's very kind to you. Did God use condemning words when you encountered him? Mm. He was gracious and he pointed out your sin, but then you found a Savior. As you have been treated by God, you are to extend that grace to others. This doesn't mean you can't confront people. This doesn't mean you can't talk to people who've sinned against you. But the flesh is there saying you cannot rely upon what the Spirit offers you. Obey. And many Christians, I say many, a good majority of Christians, just don't think this way. We just don't. We just don't apply the gospel at 10, 15 on Monday morning. We don't think. We're not conscious before our God. We have been raised in a therapeutic culture where every need is legitimate. Every impulse of our heart is to go unchecked. And Owen says that the cries of the flesh will be diminished in time. And I hope there are many, many, many of you who understand that. And this is now growing in maturity, growing and growing spiritually, realizing that the first impulse of your thought and your heart is probably not walking with the Spirit. It's okay. I'm with you. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our worship service is actually a way of practicing this. It really is. We've confessed our sins. We're practicing. If you're feeling and sensing a renewal and you're sensing the hope and you, yes, you were burdened with your sin, the flesh was real and active in your life, but you realize the battle that's going on and as you've worshiped with God's people, you realize... There's hope for you. There's hope for you. This is what you are to experience Monday, Tuesday, Friday. This is what we are. We're practicing. We're practicing. We're practicing. And when Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ, largely, that's not just, it's like, it's not talking about lifting a thousand pounds. 
It's talking about the idea that I can do what is difficult. I can do what seems impossible. And by the way, if you are comfortable as a Christian, cruising along as a Christian, saying, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about with the flesh. I'm fine. Would you do this? Would you go through the fruit of the Spirit this afternoon and see if you find yourself there on the list? Because the flesh does not want to be detected. And God in his passion and love have given you a list of things to look at and say, wow, look at that gentleness. Self-control. These are truthful sayings backed by the Spirit of God that will slay the power of the flesh. An introduction to a very, very important subject. We will connect more with this next week. Um, Please know our elders are more than available to talk honestly about what grips your heart, what is a struggle. Um, It makes perfect sense that you would cry out, Oh God, take my heart. It's prone to wander. You are among the fellowship of those who are prone to wander. And uh, may may we continue to love each other uh, week in and week out. Let's pray. Father, your word is sweet. It is good. It is penetrating. Um, It is restorative. We love you. Feed us now. Um, 